and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome back to the show to all you regular listeners. If you haven't clicked that five-star rating yet, do me a favor. Go ahead, stop what you're doing, scroll down, click that five-star rating. It definitely helps the podcast grow, and I'd love to know what you guys are thinking. We have an excellent show lined up today. The first segment is going to be puppies. How do we train them? Yeah, now, as a lot of you know, I just got a brand new puppy that, that I added to my pack about a week and a half ago, Commander Riker, or as we just call him, Riker. And he is, well, a hound lab mix of some kind. But point is, I'm going through the puppy training journey, as many of you are out there as well. So, you know, if you want to be a part of that journey with me, be sure you check back on my Instagram. I'm going to be updating it more regularly. Um, you can find me at Speak a Dogcast on Instagram. I'm also on David Paws at Speak uh, or on Instagram. So either at Speak a Dogcast or at David Paws, P-A-W-S. Check it out. You guys can be on, a, on the journey of training my puppy with me. I'll show you guys how I do some of my training methods and techniques, and you'll get to watch Riker grow. So yeah, puppies, how do we train them? That's the first segment. Then we're going to have our breed of the week, followed by the listener Q&A. And if you guys have any questions for that listener Q&A, be sure you email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. But before we get the show started today, I have to give you that trivia question. And today's question is, what is the most popular breed of dog in the United States? Yes, what is the most popular dog breed in the U.S.? And of course, I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's puppies. How do we train them? Yes, puppies, puppies, puppies. I just got a puppy a little while ago, what, a week and a half ago? My brand new puppy, Riker. Now, Riker was labeled a hound lab mix. Kind of looks like a Rottweiler with this coloration, not quite all the way. Uh, definitely a mix of something going on there, but in a week and a half, he's gotten a lot bigger. <laughs> so he's going to be a big boy. If you want, you can go check out my Instagram, Speak a Dog Cast. Uh, I've got some pictures up there of Mr. Riker, excuse me, Commander Riker. For those of you TNG Star Trek fans out there, he's he is named after Commander Riker. Um, <laughs> but he's a cute bud. He really is. He's a cute little dog and he's just even keeled temperament. Nice little guy. Uh, definitely still a puppy. We're definitely still dealing with those behavioral issues that come up with a puppy. Uh, I've seen, I've, I've dealt with worse puppies in the past. Thank goodness. He, he really is a good one, but we still deal with the puppy issues. And what are the puppy issues? We all know them. Leash work, right? Pulling on a leash, jumping on people, maybe some biting, some teething, mouthing, those kind of things, house breaking, crate training, playtime, all these different things we have to teach and deal with. How do we create good playtime, healthy playtime? Um, and as good as Riker, as good of a puppy as he is, like I said, we still are dealing with this stuff because quite frankly, he's, he's 12 and a half weeks old now. We got him at 11 weeks, had him about a week. So yeah, he's about 12 and a half weeks old. And a, a puppy's a puppy is a puppy at the end of the day, guys. Sometimes you get a really good one who just never exhibits any of these behaviors ever, not even once. Sometimes you get ones that fight you and fight you, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, a little more feisty, depending on the breed and all that personality, all that good stuff. Uh, but Riker does happen to be pretty even keeled, but he has tried all of those behaviors I just listed. He has. He's tried them all and we've or, or we've had to deal with some of the issues with crate training, um, 
he's not perfect. We've had housebreaking. He's been phenomenal. He's been actually really awesome at housebreaking, still dealing with a little bit here and there. But for a 12 and a half week old dog, uh, the rescue did a great job of getting him on track there. And we were taking over and keeping it going. And he's, he's doing great. Um, so it, it's a fun time having a puppy. It really is. But man, it's work, isn't it, guys? It's like, uh, you know, I, I talked about it last week that my wife and I, we haven't had a puppy, like our own puppy. We haven't had a small puppy since 2010, 11, when I got Colby Jack, my male golden retriever. Um, he was born, what, May 23rd, I believe, 2010. So yeah, he was, he was a year old in May, 2011. So that's, yeah, it's been, it's been 10 years. It's been a decade since we've had our own puppy in the house. I've adopted a couple older dogs uh, since then, but um, again, first puppy in a long time. And the reason why is they're exhausting. (laughs) It's a lot. You have to constantly keep an eye on them. And you know, that's the first thing guys, puppies training aside, We've got to talk about setting your puppy up for success, and that's what we try to do with Riker. When we brought him home, we have to. When, and we, you know, for that matter, I, you know, I train dogs all the time. I bring puppies in all the time. But it, when I bring a puppy in versus an adult dog, we have to be just that much more conscious about. Hey, socks! If I took my shoes off by the door and I put my socks there, can't do that when you have a puppy in the house, right? Um, we need to get baby gates, maybe some uh, pet gates, pet fencing, that kind of stuff to quarantine them to certain areas so they're not chewing things that we like. Even I have to do that as a behavior specialist because I'm not perfect. I can't watch this dog 24-7 and a puppy is going to be a puppy. And again, while some puppies are better than others, you need to set your puppy up for success. And that means puppy proofing the house a bit, making sure we have, or have contained areas to watch them in, making sure we have a crate, making sure we're doing all these things that set ourselves and our dogs up for success. So really, I implore you guys, make sure you set your dogs up for success by preparing for them in a, in a proper good way. Um, and puppy proofing is the first way we start. So that's, that's kind of where the training starts is being proactive about things, right? Okay. So yeah, Riker, my dog, he's been, he's been awesome. I mean, I just, I'm so happy to have a puppy. It's been so nice to have that puppy energy in the house again. And it's been fun to go through the training process again with one of my own. In the first place that we, the first thing, the first place we start with training a puppy always, guys, it's that crate. It's crate training. I've done a whole segment dedicated to crate training. Go back and check it out. Uh, talked about crates previously in my puppy segment. Crates are a must. It's really non-negotiable. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. You have to crate train your puppy. It's the right way to do it. Crate training helps us with housebreaking, with anxiety issues, and it also can just become a logistical thing down the road that we need. Puppy has surgery. We need to keep him off his feet. Or excuse me, your puppy's a grown dog, right? Has surgery. He hasn't been been in his crate in years, but because we conditioned it properly, because they like their crate, we can pull that crate back out and use it to keep them off their feet if they have surgery and we need to, right? Those kind of things that maybe you just don't think about where a crate can come in handy. But if I've never introduced a crate to my dog, can you imagine your poor pup coming out of anesthesia? not being familiar with a crate and being having to live in a crate for a couple days, it's not going to go so well. So it's important that we condition these things early on. We associate the crate as a good thing to them. Um, and that way it's, it's, it's a comfortable environment. It's a source of comfort to your dog as opposed to fear. Okay. So yes, we've been crate training Mr. Riker and luckily the rescue that we rescued him from was already on the, on the right track in crate training. And what I will say is Riker, unfortunately, and I mean, you know, what, what are you going to do about this? And what's the rescue going to do? But right, Riker had a, a, a litter mate and he had a litter mate that he bonded with. Now, 
even just being around that litter mate, he was probably crate, created in the same room as him, near him. Um, and being with that litter mate probably created a little separation anxiety because the first time I put Riker in a crate and left him in a room alone, he immediately started whining. Uh, no surprise. Now that was the second day we had him. So I'm going to run you through this, how I do it, how I did it. This is day one, bringing a brand new puppy home. He's 11 weeks old. Um, how do we set him up for success with the crate? And guess what guys, the first night we had him, believe it or not, I slept through the night. <laughs> so did my wife. We both slept completely through the night and so did Riker. And actually Riker hasn't woken us up one single night in a week and a half of having him. How phenomenal is that? Uh, now again, Part of that is definitely due to the rescue working on the crate training, but here's, okay, so here's, here's how it went. Day one, we came home, we had a ton of playtime, took him for a little walk even, not, not far, just around our house, around our property, um, you know, letting him, letting him get acclimated, letting him get used to my dogs, the environment, but he had a lot of playtime, a lot of stimulation, got him nice and tired. And then I think it was like the middle of the day. I brought the crate into my living room, family room area, where everybody is, myself, my wife, all the dogs. And of course, we make the crate a nice place. Put a nice little crate bed in there, put maybe something soft for him, make it an, uh, an inviting environment. Then I put him in, gave him his meal, he ate the meal no problem, and then laid down and fell asleep. Now again, guys, got him tired first, exercise first, then we put him in the crate with nice things like a blanket or a, or a bed or something like that that's inviting. Then I fed him and then he passes out, right? Like a little kid, <laughs> they eat their food and it makes them take a nap. <laughs> no different. So I set him up for success to fall asleep in that crate, associate something fun and happy like food with it, okay? And then he passes out. Now we're all in the same room as him. I closed the crate door, he took a nap, all was well. Once he wakes up from the nap, I took him out, let him relieve himself, all is well, have the rest of the afternoon, playtime, walk again, getting him more and more tired, okay, making sure he, I'm setting him up for success for uh, for the night, for that night, so when we have to crate him and go to bed, he's more likely to want to go in there again, and it's not a big issue. So same thing, same routine, nighttime comes around, I moved the crate to the bedroom, put him in there, put the food in, he ate the food took a nap, no problem. Now we're going in and out of the bedroom at this point. I'm not totally closing him off, but he is closed in his crate, okay? Took his nap, let him out one more time, maybe a little playtime, relieve himself, all that good stuff. Put him back in the crate, closed the door. We went to bed. No issues, right? Because he's tired, he played, he went for a walk, he got fulfillment, he's exhausted. We associated the crate as something good by putting soft, fun things in there, by putting food in there. And then he passed out, guys, and he slept the rest of the night. Now, of course, I made sure I set him up for success by not letting him drink too much water before we went to bed, by making sure dinner time wasn't too close to crate time before we went to bed, right? I don't want to feed him 10 minutes before I'm putting him away for the whole night. He's going to have to poop in the middle of the night if I do that. So I feed him early enough that he empties himself. So when I put him in the crate, he doesn't need to go in the middle of the night. Okay, really important detail there. Now, the next morning, we wake up. Same thing, guys. Get him out, play time, walk all that good stuff. However, I tried something different on day two. I put him in the crate, closed the door, and I left the bedroom and closed the door to the bedroom. Now, it didn't take very long. <laughs> it didn't take very long when I left that bedroom for him to start whining. Now, again, he had a litter mate. He had a dog. He was around all the time. It was his puppy. So uh, it was his buddy. So it doesn't really surprise me that the first time I leave the bedroom, I kind of expected it, quite frankly. Um, not that I want to expect bad behavior, but, you know, you see these patterns enough, you know how it works. And um, yeah, he, he got a little whiny and we tried to ignore it. And 
wasn't going to work. He was going to go, 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 go. And he went, he whined for a long time. We tried to ignore it, tried to ignore it, tried to ignore it. And that's my first recommendation. You want to try to ignore whining in the crate if you can, but that doesn't always work. So unfortunately it did. It got to a point I had to address it. So I'll walk in the bedroom. I'll open the crate door. I will give a small touch correction. I've talked about touch corrections in the past. It's an instinctual way that mom would go in there and correct her puppies. Okay. And that's what I want to do. Go in there, open the door, make the correction, close the crate door, close the door to the bedroom, walk out in and out really fast. Talked about it before. Everything we do with training, we want to be in and out with small pieces of information. Okay. Now, Puppy's probably going to start whining again. <laughs> open the door to the bedroom, open the door to the crate, quick poke correction, close the door to the crate, close the door to the bedroom, walk out. You're probably going to have to rinse and repeat this a few times, but before you know it, the dog's going to figure out, boy, every time I whine, I get this thing I don't like. But every time I'm quiet and I relax, that goes away. And then if they continue to stay quiet and continue to relax, well, then you can go, hey, good boy, even through the door. Good boy, good job, Riker. I say that to my puppy, good boy. One good boy, be done. Might start whining again, walk in, address it, okay? Rinse and repeat. So the information becomes very black and white to the puppy. Every time I whine, I get something I don't like. Every time I'm quiet and I relax, I get a good boy. Maybe we can throw a treat in the crate, right? One quick treat into the crate, turn and walk away. Good boy, in and out. So again, he relaxes, he gets rewarded. He doesn't relax, we have to correct or redirect it. It's that simple. That's a great way to get rid of some of that whining. However, the best way to get rid of whining in the crate, guys, the best way, get your puppy tired before you put them in there. That's really the biggest one. Now, it's not always possible. I know puppies have like reserve tanks of energy in there, so it's not always the easiest thing, and that's why we have to have the option of correction redirection as well, okay? But the other thing I've been doing is I fed my puppy in the crate every meal, right? Every meal, breakfast and dinner, feeding him in the crate. And of course I'm giving treats when they go in the crate. Now he has to go in the crate first, then he gets the treat. But I'm again, we're, what we're doing is we're conditioning a, a desired stimulus with the crate. So the puppy's more likely to want to go in there. Makes sense, right? It's pretty easy. It's pretty black and white stuff. Um, and that's just it. Keep it simple. I always say K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. Um, <laughs> but really important, especially with dogs. Dogs are very black and white animals, so you need to keep it simple. Um, so again, crate training, guys, it's a must. I can't stress it enough. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It helps with everything. Helps with everything. Solves a ton of behavioral issues, right? And that brings us to the next behavioral issue most people want to immediately address with a puppy, and that's housebreaking. How do we tackle housebreaking? Okay, the first thing is crating. We don't need to say anymore. <laughs> that's what it takes. Actually, no, I'll say two more things. At night when you go to bed and you're asleep, your puppy needs to be in the crate, and anytime you leave your house, puppy needs to be in a crate. No ifs, ands, or buts. I don't care that puppy's cute and you want them to sleep in your bed with you. No, guys, it's not okay. You want to take a nap with your puppy in your bed, that's fine, but overnight sleeping, it's not okay. You're going to create separation anxiety or your puppy's going to wake up and pee in your bed and you're not going to know it until it's too late. <laughs> I don't think you want a wet mattress, so please put your puppy in a crate. It is a must. Okay, so housebreaking, how do we get there, guys? It starts with a good schedule and a good routine. Now, we don't need to make this exact. I don't want to be up at 6 a.m. every single day letting my puppy out, and I'm not with Riker. It varies a little bit. I wake up pretty early every day, roughly the same time, but sometimes a little different. 
sometimes a little different. And I like to vary that up. I don't want to be up at 6 a.m. every day letting Riker out because then 6 a.m. is going to come after a week of that and Riker's going to start yelling at me to get out of bed because he's like, hey, it's 6 a.m. This is when you take me out. No, I like to vary it up, right? I'm not going to make it 5 a.m. one day and 9 a.m. the next day and 7 a.m. the day after. That's way too wide of a range. But maybe within about an hour, especially when your puppy's really young, an hour or so range, maybe a little less, that you want to be waking up and getting your puppy out at the consistent time every day. Now, again, not the exact time, but a consistent range of time. The other thing is when I wake up, I don't immediately jump out of bed and get my puppy out of the crate. Because once again, if I do that, Riker's going to expect every time I jump out of that bed, even if it's 4 a.m., he'll start associating. If I get out of the bed, he comes out of the crate. And that's not what we want, okay? So when I wake up, sometimes I'll go make my coffee first. Then I'll come back and let him out of the crate. Sometimes I'll wake up and maybe even take a shower before I let him out of his crate. Sometimes I wake up and immediately and go let him out of this crate. I change it up and vary it so he had doesn't expect it one way or the other. He just knows, oh, David's going to let me out of my crate in a timely manner and I'll pee when he does. Not a big deal. That's what I condition with my puppies. Okay, so really important that you do that as well. Okay, now same thing throughout the day. We want to create a good schedule, a good routine, but not too exact. If your puppy's really little, if we have an eight-week, 10-week-old puppy, oh yeah, you're going to be going out like every 20, 30 minutes to start with, to start associating outside with pee time, but you'll be surprised just one week older, you can start extending that easily by another 20, 30 minutes, sometimes even an hour, okay? So know your puppy, read their patterns. If they're really starting to understand outside is, is the place you want them to go and they're really getting it, start extending it a little bit. Because the problem is if you start taking them out every 20 minutes for five weeks straight, you've just conditioned your dog is supposed to pee every 20 minutes, right? And most people look at me and go, David, he won't hold it during the day, but he'll hold it for eight, 10 hours at night if I want him to in the crate, he won't make a beep. But during the day, he'll pee every 20 minutes inside. And I look at them and go, well, how often do you take him out? Every 20 minutes. There you go. All right. So try to use some logic and common sense with this, guys. Yes, if we have a really little puppy, it has to start pretty often taking them out. But then we need to gradually build upon that. Riker's gotten really good. He can hold it for at least three hours at this point, three, four hours. Um, And that's the maximum. Now, we've been kind of teetering more inside that range because he's still only 12 and a half weeks, Um, but he can do three to four hours. He's done it, which is phenomenal for a 12 and a half week old puppy. And in the crate at night, he does eight hours without an issue as well. And again, it's all because of how we've conditioned it and how we continue to give him information. All right. So that schedule, that routine, don't make it too exact. But when they're really little, yeah, we need to be taking them out pretty often every 20, 30 minutes, building upon it by 20 or 30 minutes, sometimes even an hour every week they get older. Okay. Really important there. Now the other part, routine is good, but if we're not rewarding when they pee outside, we're missing a huge opportunity to reinforce behavior. Do not wait till you get back inside guys. You should have a treat in your pocket or in your treat pouch as I would prefer. Um, You should have your treat pouch on when you go outside. And the second your dog is done relieving themselves, the second they're done, you're giving them a treat. No waiting till you get back inside. It's too long. There's too much time in between them relieving themselves, getting the treat for them to be able to make that connection. It's got to be immediate, okay? By all means, praise them. By all means, give them affection. But the food, the food, rewarding that behavior with food has to be there every time outside. Can't stress it enough, okay? Now, let's say our dog does have an accident inside. What do we do? Well, if you catch him in the act, 
you want to pick them up as quickly, scoop them up as quickly as you can, get them outside and try to get them to pee outside in that moment. That way you can, again, make the association mid pee (laughs) that they're supposed to go outside, rewarding it. Okay. Not always an option. Sometimes some dogs don't stop peeing (laughs) and then you're trying to get them outside and it's just this stream of pee and then you just made your mess worse. I get it. Uh, And then then by the time you get them outside, they've already finished. (laughs) That stinks. So I hate to say it. If you catch them in the act, that's the only thing you can do, guys, is get them outside. Associate. You can't scold them. You can't punish them. It's biological, okay? It's a biological thing that they're not going to understand the punishment uh, side of it. They just, they really aren't going to be able to get that. And what will only end up happening is then you'll become the form of punishment and they work to avoid you. Then they're going to start hiding their pee in the house. And that's, that's definitely not what you want. You want them giving you that signal. So you don't want to yell at them. You don't want to scold them. You don't want to put their noses in it. None of that old school mentality stuff, guys, it doesn't work. Um, look, I got news for you. No, I'm not, not picking on my parents, but you know, my Shih Tzu used to have accidents in the house quite a bit growing up, um, and especially in these one particular areas. And I think she chose those areas because she wanted to hide it from us because we would say no when she did it, which is what most everybody does. It's her natural instinct. Her natural inclination is to go, no, stop. Oh, my God, not the expensive rug. Um, I get it but it's not going to work for training purposes. If you have an expensive rug and a puppy, I got news for you. The two do not go together. They do not mix. They are oil and water. Um, (laughs) Okay. It doesn't mix. So if you're getting a puppy, pull up the expensive oriental rugs, guys. It's not worth it. And puppies love the expensive rugs. It's their favorite thing to go pee on. So just get rid of them while while your puppy is housebreaking. Oh my goodness. So you need to reward them when they go outside with food right away. You need to not scold them when they go inside and instead try to get them out if you catch them in the act. If you catch them after the fact, there's nothing you can do about it. Well, there's one thing you can do and that's properly clean it up. That's it. Use a proper cleaner. My favorite cleaner to clean pee and poop up, Nature's Miracle. It's a go-to, guys. You have to have a proper cleaner because the cleaner needs to be able to break down Um, the actual chemical composition of the urine. Let's not forget, dogs' noses are really good. So if there's any even like microscopic trace of that scent to them, they're more likely to want to go back and mark on it and pee on it again. So it's important that you use a good cleaner. Again, my favorite, Nature's Miracle. There's all different kinds out there. Check it out. Um, but get, get a good cleaner to clean it up because that cleanup part is going to be really important. Okay. What else do we want to do? We want to look for the signs. Look for the signs. What are the signs? If your dog all of a sudden seems distracted inside and like it's on it's it's on a mission trying to do something, it seems kind of odd, leash them up and get them outside immediately because they're looking to pee. If your dog starts circling or pacing or whining, puppy rather, right? Puppy, not dog. I keep saying dog, I mean puppy. If your puppy starts circling, pacing, or whining, get them outside. If your puppy comes up and looks at you longingly, it may not just want affection. It may need to pee get them outside. These are all different signs that puppies will throw out. If they go toward the door, that's an obvious one. If they go toward the door and they go look at the door, sit at the door, walk near the door, sniffing the ground, get them outside. If all of a sudden your puppy's nose goes to the ground and they start sniffing very intently on the floor in your house, get them outside. These are all signs that your dog most likely needs to use the bathroom. Now, Let's say they exhibit these signs, you take them outside, and then they don't go. Now what? (laughs) Now what? 
bring them back inside because we don't want to give them 25 minutes to try to pee outside. It's not giving a good black and white message. You're going to bring them back inside and you're going to keep them leashed up to you. You're not going to let them out of your sight because they're going to exhibit those signs once again. And once they do, you take them back outside, get them to pee, reward it. Okay. I promise you, if you stay on top of it like this, if you look for those signs, if you understand how to reward it, if you create a good schedule and routine, if you're using proper methods to clean it up, and if you rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, all of these things, guys, housebreaking will take care of itself. But you have to be persistent, you have to be consistent, and you have to be watching your puppy all the time when they're young. You have to. It's the only way to do it. It's exhausting. <laughs> There's a reason my wife and I have not had our own puppy in the house for 10 years because I'm busy doing this with all my client puppies. <laughs> it's exhausting, guys. It's a full-time job. It really is. But if you want to housebreak your dog, that's what it takes. Okay. So let's move on. Let's talk about biting. How do we get biting to stop? Look, I, there's really just a quick way to say this. There's two ways. We either redirect to a toy, right? You can, well, excuse me. There's three, there's three methods. I kind of look at it. I'm sure there's other people going, oh, David, there's lots of methods. Sure. There's lots of methods. My way, there's three ways, guys. Uh, you can try this one. You can try acting like you're hurt. If your dog bites you, you go, ow, oh, you know, act like you're hurt. Sometimes the dogs actually respond to that because they don't really want to hurt you. Um, and you can get them to back off when you do that. And they learn that biting you is not a good thing, right? Um, so that actually can work. But you can also put a no to it. Sometimes that doesn't work and you need other options. This is why we have other methods. Okay. We can also pair a no, right? No. And you can use a touch correction or use the collar to make a small correction. Now, again, small corrections, guys, nothing crazy, nothing intense, but you can use a little touch correction to tell your puppy, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Um, once they back off and once they stop biting you, of course, very important, tell them good boy, good girl. That's where a lot of people miss out too. Even if you use the, oh, well, I'm hurt method. The second they stop biting you, you have to go, oh, good boy, good girl to tell them what you do like. Let's remember, we want to tell the dog what we don't like, but just as important, if not more important, we want to tell the dog what we do like. We need to reinforce behaviors that we that we do like. We want to strengthen behaviors once we get them that we do like. Okay, so constantly remember that. Don't forget that little uh, very important detail there. Okay, so those are the first two, right? Act like, you're, oh, you're hurting me or poke redirect, or you can just try to redirect with a toy. Okay, they start biting you, take a toy, redirect them to the toy. Once they start biting the toy, hey, good boy, good girl, Okay, strengthening and reinforcing that behavior. Okay, that's really the ways we deal with biting. Now, if it really becomes an issue, guys, leash your puppy up. Leash your puppy up and hold that leash to put them in a little timeout for 30 seconds, okay? Then let them go back to playing. If they get too rough and they start biting again, a little correction, put them in a timeout, you know, a little tension on the leash so that they can't get very far, put them in a timeout. And then they'll start realizing, okay, every time I bite, I get a timeout. Every time I relax and stop biting, they give me my freedom back, okay? just like a toddler. <laughs> okay. Really, that's the way we curb biting. It's that simple. Jumping. Jumping's the next one I, I, I hear a lot, right? How do we get a puppy to stop jumping on us? The first way is to stop reinforcing it. Yes. Stop reinforcing jumping, guys. Everybody does it. I watch people say no as they're petting their dog <laughs> that literally has its top paw, has its front paws up on them. The dog jumps on them and they go, no, and they're petting the dog. You're literally teaching that dog that no means yes and please jump on me, okay? So that's the first way we get our dogs to stop jumping on you is to stop reinforcing the behavior. 
I, I see it's every single time, every time, because here's the reality, guys, a dog, only any animal on this planet, every animal on this planet, the only reason an animal does any behavior is because they get something out of it, because they get reinforced for it. If an animal doesn't get reinforced for a behavior, they're not going to repeat it. So if a dog is jumping on you, it's because it's been reinforced. Somebody, probably you, <laughs> has reinforced that behavior. So that's the first way to get a dog to stop jumping is stop reinforcing it, okay? The second biggest mistake people make is they back away from the dog. The dog jumps on them and they back away. The dog jumps on them and they back away. The dog jumps on them and they back away. First of all, the behavior keeps repeating, therefore it's being reinforced. Uh, second of all, backing away from a dog like that is actually an invitation. Yes, our body language is different than their body language. And when you back away from a dog like that, you're actually saying, hey, please do that again. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay, so don't invite it in. Don't invite the jumping by backing away. Instead, you're going to push into them. The opposite of backing away. If a dog jumps on me, I push into them. I don't back away. Okay. Um, when my puppy, when Riker jumped on me, yeah, I gave him a little poke and pushed into him. He, you know, went down and then he looked at me and was like, I didn't like that. And then he sat. And when he, without me even asking, when he sat, I bent down and said, good boy, gave him some affection. And then I stopped giving affection. He thought about jumping. He went halfway up, stopped jumping, sat back down and I pet him again. Very black and white to Riker. If you jump on me, you're going to kind of get a poke and you're going to get pushed away. But if you settle down and sit down, you get affection. Riker has learned very quickly. All I have to do is relax in front of this guy and I get food, I get treats, I get affection, I get love. This is awesome. Why would I do anything else? <laughs> That's what you need to teach your puppy too. Okay. Relaxation is what gets you things. Not chaos, not jumping, not biting, not overexcitement. Okay. So I strengthen the behavior that is relaxation. I punish the behavior that's overexcitement or jumping or biting or any of those things. That's how we curb those things, guys. It's pretty simple, actually. People make it more complicated than it is. Um, but like I said, I think the biggest problem is people unknowingly reinforce those behaviors and they give affection when they shouldn't be. Okay. So leash work. Um, we're going to talk about leash work kind of just briefly here. Now, leash work, when we have a young puppy, as I've said in the past, you know, depending upon your size, your breed, age, we want to start off with either a regular nylon collar or a harness. This is one of my exceptions to my rules on harnesses. Um, I don't have a problem with a young, young dog wearing a harness. The only issue with a harness I have is they're easy to slip out of. Most harnesses, even the supposedly inescapable harnesses, guys, I've, I've heard it all. I've heard it all where dogs escape out of every kind and type of harness you can imagine. So that's my only gripe with a harness. Now, the same could be said about a collar, regular nylon collar, if it's not tightened enough. Even if it is, sometimes dogs can slip out of those. So you're always kind of taking that risk with those with a small puppy, but just be aware of that is, is more my point, okay? I prefer to go with a small nylon collar when a dog is little. That's my personal preference, okay? When they're really little, you know, like eight, 10, 10 weeks, 10, when we hit 10 weeks, that's when I kind of start raising my expectations. But when they're really little, it's like, you know, come on, they're, they're a little tiny puppy. We're not going to get them walking perfectly. And that's fine. Again, it's, I said at the beginning of the segment, know where your expectations are at for the age dog you have. Um, what I can work on when they're really little besides leashes, my commands is a sit, is a stay, is a lie down, is it go to your crate, little things like that, teaching them relaxation. I can work on those things. But then once we hit that 10 to 12 week mark, that's when the leash work starts coming along. Now, Riker, like I said, he's a lab hound mix. Um, we took him to you know my own vet last week to get him checked up. 
And when they weighed him in uh, last Thursday, so a little over a week ago, he was 15.7 pounds, just to give you guys an idea of weight and size. And he was ready for his martingale collar. Okay, that size dog can definitely have the martingale collar. So I put the martingale collar on him and it's changed everything. Now, of course, he threw a little tantrum at first because it was a new collar. It's a constricting collar. He definitely had to figure it out. But once we got through that initial tantrum, he loves his collar now. He sits and waits for it to be put on. He's all about it. And it's changed the focus on walking with him and working with him on leash. Even just taking him outside to go pee. Instead of pulling me over to the grass, which he was doing a week ago, now it's nice and controlled and he trots over and waits and knows when he's supposed to go over. It's really nice. So, um, you know, about that 12-week age for larger dogs, that's when the martingale collar is going to be put on. Again, if the dog is a little smaller breed, then maybe not yet. Um, we'll, we'll work them up to that. But that martingale collar is going to be key. We want to use small, in and out, quick, precise corrections. Nothing crazy, guys. We're using like our wrist, our fingers to make these corrections with small puppies, okay? But we want to be in and out with it, teaching the dog that a loose collar means you're doing the right thing. Tight collar means you're doing the wrong thing. And you know something? I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make the plug for it here, but I think we're going to start doing this next week. Um, just recently, um, through a few of my clients that I have and, and people they know that maybe don't live in the area, I've actually started doing um, teleconference training sessions. You know, uh, we're doing Zoom calls. <laughs> and I've also done some recording of myself, taking some video clips of myself working through these walks, working through leash work, understanding how to use the leash. And again, we're, we're just doing training from afar. And so far, it's been going really well. And so I'm actually going to extend that out to everybody listening. I'm going to start doing training sessions via Zoom. So if you're interested in that, uh, please feel free to reach out to me. You can actually email me at questions at speakadogcast.com. Uh, if you want to set up a consultation, that's where we start. We start with a video consultation where we talk about your dog a little more in depth about their behavior, what behavioral goals you guys are looking to achieve, and then we make a plan from there on how to do it. But the point I'm getting to is I've got some great videos that I've been using for this. And if you guys are interested, um, again, reach out to me and you can, we can really dive into actually how to walk your dog, really get to the nitty gritty details of what it takes to get a good leash walk going. So um, feel free to reach out to me, get that consultation going. Maybe we'll get some training going and it'll be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it and it's been working really well so far. So uh, again, interested, email me questions at speakadogcast.com. So really, guys, that's what it takes to make a good puppy, and that's how we start training them. The crate training, we talked about how to get, how to you know, uh, associate good things with it, make it a happy place for them, using food, using affection. Uh, then we talked about housebreaking. Same thing, right? Using food and affection, that's how we do it. That's how we reinforce desired behaviors. We don't want to punish when they go to the bathroom in the house, guys. So I just want to make that little distinction right there. We can't punish that behavior because then they're just going to try to hide it from you, and that's not what we want, okay? Make sure you're taking them on a good schedule, good routine, creating a good schedule, good routine, taking them out, rewarding it every time they go outside. Of course, the biting and the jumping, it's pretty simple to deal with. Honestly, guys, we're going to deal with some small corrections, uh, redirections, and of course, reinforcing once they stop biting, once they stop jumping, making sure we always are reinforcing any relaxing behavior we see in our puppy. Leash work, yeah, it takes a little bit more, but you're going to get that martingale collar on them once they get to a good age, making sure we're making quick in and out corrections, nice, small, light, 
precise corrections, okay? Uh, and you'll discover that that walk is going to go a lot better. And of course, if you want to dive more in depth about this training, you really want to get your dog under control no matter what behavioral issue you're having, you know what? We're doing that teleconferencing Zoom meeting just like everybody else. So feel free to reach out to me, questions at speakadogcast.com. We can set up a consultation and go from there. But uh, again, crate training, that's the one I'm going to hone in on today, guys. If you do take nothing else from this segment, take the crate training. Make sure you're crate, crate training your puppy. You'll be on a better track to training them. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Airedale Terrier. Of course, they're a member of the Terrier group, and they can get anywhere from 50 to 70 pounds. Smart and brave, these guys are fitting of the name Terrier. The Airedale is actually the largest of all the Terrier breeds, and they have a dense and wiry coat and a tall, formidable body. These guys definitely get the attention of onlookers, and they can be a great family dog. They are known for being patient with children, but they're also known to be protective over their family and home. And being a terrier, they can exhibit some terrier qualities such as maybe stubbornness and determination. However, with the proper training and socialization, Airedales make fantastic dogs. They are a lot of dog though, so they're not necessarily for the first time a dog owner, and it takes consistency, patience, and a lot of work to get these guys to be phenomenal dogs. The Airedale also boasts a lot of energy, so, you know, daily walks, playtime, running, and more should all be a part of their routine. But with all that said, the breed is versatile, they can adapt well to any task that they're given, they're athletic, they're intelligent, and owners really should take advantage of all these awesome traits that the breed has to offer. Now, Airedales do tend to be a healthy dog, but as with larger breeds, owners should be aware of potential hip issues, especially as they age. Of course, we want to do some regular light grooming, keeping that wiry coat free of some knots, and making sure we're keeping that skin nice and healthy. Known as the king of terriers, oddly enough, the Airedale actually has a history far from royalty. The breed was developed by English factory workers in the late 19th century. The Air Valley, which is located less than 100 miles from the Scottish border, is where the origins of the Airedale lies. Factory workers in the area, they wanted a dog that was big, that was fearless, and had the ability to adapt to a variety of environments to hunt ducks and rats. Now, there were many different breeds that actually went into designing the Airedale. The Otterhound, the now extinct English Black and Tan Terrier, the Irish Terrier, and the Bedlington Terrier were all breeds used in creating the Airedale. Now, being such a versatile breed, it's also believed that retrievers, setters, and herding dogs were all incorporated. The Airedales became known for being able to work in any condition in a wide variety of environments. They even found themselves on the battlefields of World War I. British forces used them as guard dogs, sentries, and messengers, and even the Red Cross used them as rescue dogs during the war. In America, the breed gained popularity with hunters for the dog's ability to hunt waterfowl, upland game, and other prey. So they were just versatile in any environment, right? So they really were a sought-after dog. Now, three U.S. presidents have also owned Airedale Terriers. Woodrow Wilson, Warren Harding, and Calvin Coolidge all had Airedale Terriers. Now, here's another interesting fact about Airedales. Now, John Wayne actually received his nickname from an Airedale. When he was a kid, he had an Airedale Terrier named Duke. And John and Duke would take a walk, and he liked to visit the local fire station. And when he'd get there, the firemen would say to him, Here comes Big Duke and Little Duke. And of course... Big Duke being the dog and Little Duke being John Wayne, and the nickname stuck. 
The Airedale is such an awesome dog that they have actually played the role of a guard dog, a hunter, a warrior, an athlete, and just being a good best friend. So it's no wonder that the Airedale is the king of terriers. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and more. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Boss. Located in Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Answer to today's trivia question, what is the most popular breed of dog in the United States? It's the Labrador Retriever. According to the AKC, this is the 15th consecutive year that the lab has taken the crown. Golden Retrievers are the second most popular breed, followed by German Shepherds, then Beagles, and then the Yorkshire Terrier. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Victoria from Orlando, Florida. Victoria asks, why do puppies love socks so much? Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, how many people out there have experiences with dogs eating socks? You know, it's not just dog, uh, not just puppies, right? It's dogs too. You hear a lot of stories of that with vets having to do surgeries to remove socks from intestinal tracts. And I mean, I've had a few clients over the years that have told me about their old dogs that have done this. And yeah, why do they like socks so much? You know, it's funny. If you ask a vet, it's probably not just socks. It's probably underwear, things that really have a lot of your scent on them. And that's a lot of the reason why they go after things like that. Now, is, is it, you know, people go, oh, it's affectionate. My dog loves me. That's why it eats the socks because it smells like me. Well, sometimes it's more possessive than that. Maybe your dog has possessive tendencies over one person in the family, not the other. Maybe they eat the wife's socks, not the husband's socks or vice versa. Maybe it's because that one spouse or the one person in the household who's, whose clothing items they eat, maybe they don't like the dog. <laughs> I've kind of heard correlations with all of those. So, can I ask the dog straight up, hey, why are you eating socks? And get an answer, no. What I can do is tell you that it most likely has something to do with scent, right? Um, but anytime a dog starts eating something, anytime a dog is eating something in your household, guys, it's out of boredom. You know, that's just the truth of it. If you have a dog who's obsessively eating things in the house, they've got anxiety issues. Um, you know, there, there's something going on there. Your dog is bored and they have anxiety issues, or maybe they have separation anxiety and that's why they eat socks. Um, but you know, for a puppy, obviously it's going to be most of the time it's, it's either, well, most of the time when puppies eat things, it's out of boredom. 
Uh, but oftentimes it's also out of separation anxiety and it's tough. Look, it's tough guys. Puppies are also just going to eat things because they, they're curious, they're mouthy. They discover something new and they try it and they start eating it. Sometimes that's just a little bit of puppiness. So you deal with a little bit of that, but when we're talking more on the side of clothing, of things that have familiar scents, or maybe again, more importantly, your scent, then I think that's a lot of the reason they go after those kind of items. But again, you can't just say, well, they eat it because they like the way you smell. No, you, normally there's some kind of other uh, extenuating circumstances or issues going along with it. Again, if your dog has separation anxiety, your socks smell like you and it's eating your socks, there's clearly a behavioral issue going on there. So why do they love them so much? Well, until I can really get an answer from them, I can't tell you exactly, but we can come to that speculation of we know what what role that scent plays for a dog, okay? So kind of put two and two together there. Next question. This comes from Kyle from Sandusky, Ohio. Kyle asks, how do I keep my dog out of the kitchen? It's a common one. You know, we get a lot of counter surfers. I've got a dog in my boot camp right now that we're working on counter surfing with. And when it comes to, like, if we go to the counter surfing side, my answer is we need to teach them to stay out of the kitchen. Okay, so <laughs> how do we teach our dogs to stay out of the kitchen? Now, it's easiest to teach this if you have a kitchen with one way in and one way out. You know, that's how my kitchen's designed. It's sort of like a square octagon. I don't know what kind of shape you want to call that. Uh, but there's one way in and one way out from the main area of the house. The other entrance is uh, through the garage, right? The garage entrance laundry room is over there. Um, so it, it becomes easier to teach a dog to stay out of the kitchen because you can make an invisible barrier, right? There, there's kind of a, a barrier under itself with where the entrance to my kitchen is. And it's, it's, it's easy to teach a dog to stay there. So anytime my dog comes into the kitchen, I redirect them out. Now, I like to teach dogs that come into my house and my own dogs a command called go on. And go on simply means turn and walk away. Go on. Give me space. Maybe get out of here. <laughs> get out of the kitchen. Um, so we can teach that go on command. And by the way to teach them that, honestly, is I like to do an arm movement of like, hey, pointing away from me. And I move into the dog. I just walk into them and say, hey, go on. Give them a little nudge. And they turn and walk away. And then I say, good, go on. Good. Right? Just like we teach anything. So when my dog goes into the kitchen, I want to redirect them with a go on. Again, if you have a one way in, one way out kitchen, it's very easy. You need to just be exact on where that, where that line is. And if the dog crosses over the line into the kitchen, boom, you're redirecting them. If they're on the other side of the line, you're saying, hey, good boy, good girl, good job. Okay. That's the easiest way. Now, my old house, we had a, we did not have one way in, one way out. It was sort of a thoroughfare through the kitchen. And then the we had an island and the rest of the kitchen's off to the side. So once again, I just kind of made the thoroughfare of the kitchen. Yeah, sure, you guys can walk through here, but I'm not going to let you lie down in here. So I still created an invisible barrier. First of all, they were never allowed in the area on the other side of the island. Okay, that made it easy. And then I do the secondary barrier of if you're going to be in the kitchen, you're passing through, but you don't lay down and stay in here. Okay, again, go on. Um, you can decide where that pretend physical barrier is going to be. But as long as you're exact and precise with where that barrier is and in showing your dog, it becomes really easy to teach them this. And that can help curb a lot of those uh, counter surfing tendencies and things like that. But really, that's all there is to it, to keeping your dog out of the kitchen. Teach them a go on command, be precise about where your boundary is, and make sure you're reinforcing them once they stay on the other side of the boundary. <music> 
that'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you guys have any questions for that listener Q&A, you can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. And of course, we're going to be starting those virtual training, virtual consults next week. So if you guys want to have a virtual consult with me, be sure you reach out to me, questions at speakadogcast.com. We'll talk more about it. In the meantime, have a wonderful week. And don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. Thank you.